week of Behind the Lens, the end of March already. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I'm a little bit of a Debbie Downer because the TCM Classic Film Fest is over. So you're really cheery right now. I'm a little bit. There's a little a slight malaise that's been going, wafting through these studios, and it's hit me already. Just- well, and it's funny because a lot of the TCM Fest goers last night were posting on Facebook and saying, oh, this is so sad. And everyone's like, yeah, it's, it, it generally, after the high of this festival, it you... It, the depression sets in for like, <laughs> for four or five days. It's the temporary end of a love affair, a cinematic love affair. And, and that's yeah. that's exactly what it is. It's a cinematic love affair. Yeah. And with everybody bonding through this collective cinematic experience where the past meets the present. Yeah. And it's a timeless smell, and it's beautiful. For those of you just joining us, this is Behind the Lens. It is yes. Monday, March 30th. Uh my partner in film is back. Greg is back this week. Yes. Uh, we've got a big show today. Kel, uh, TCM social producer Kelly Pratt will be joining us again this week to help us in our TCM wrap. Kelly will be calling in 1115 along with her partner in film, Aurora Citizen Screen. And uh, they were out and about mingling with the fans. It's a very good name, by the way, Citizen Screen. Isn't that great? Very noir-esque. And, and when you go to Aurora's site, Aurora's Gin Joint... Mm. Or once upon a screen, that's exactly the f- the sense that you get. Oh, so Aurora sh- will be really happy to hear you yeah. say that. At eleven thirty, dear friend, wonderful director Mo Perkins is going to call in and talk about the last time you had fun. This was another one of my must see festival films at LAFF okay. for twenty fourteen. Got a distribution deal less than a year later. Is hitting theaters and digital VOD next Friday. Yeah. So, or this Friday. Yeah, this Friday. I don't know. We'll double check the date with Mo. Well, I'm sure it's great. You championed a film a year ago and you see its development over the 12 months. And then finally to that day and date when it gets that distribution. It's a yeah. good, it's a good day. Yeah. And especially because coming out of LAFF 2014, a lot of these films, Supremacy, Trouble Dolls, which mm. became Apartment Troubles, Man from Reno, The Last Time You Had Fun, I saw them before they even hit the fest. Yeah. So yeah. to really get to go on this journey, and Mo and I have been on this journey before with her first film, A Quiet Little Marriage. Dave Boyle and I have, have journeyed through all of his films from the very first <laughs> one. Um, Jess Weixler and I have known each other for the better part of a decade now since her, really? since her first feature okay. film as yeah. an actress, Teeth. Um, so, I mean, for me, this is, you know, to see this, it's like, you know, I'm there watching the egg hatch with them. And it's really fantastic. You know what's great is you, you champion indie filmmakers and filmmaking and actors and also the TCM Classic Film Fest. What about the big monolithic studios? Do you champion those as well? Do I champion Disney? Oh, Disney, Disney, Disney. Ask ask Don Hall, ask Chris Williams, ask Roy Conley, (laughs) ask Pete Doctor. I think they'll all all say. The Doctor's amazing, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm going to be seeing him tomorrow because I head up to Pixar for two days. uh, That's awesome. To see, get some sneak peeks on what's coming with Inside Out. It's a rough day hanging out at Pixar. That must be a rough day for you. I don't know. This will be my first trip to Pixar. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I've already seen early renderings uh, from Inside Out and of the short that would precede it, Lava, Mm -hmm. which as much as I, as cute as I thought Frozen Fever was this year with the snow glees opening in front of Cinderella. I got to tell you, Lava, next year's best animated short film. Okay. Okay. So I can't wait the next two days. So next Monday, we're going to have some Pixar stuff to talk about, too. So, but first, oh, and then today, I promised you last week, Seymour Bernstein, Seymour, an introduction. Yes. Uh, We ran out of time. So we will have those clips today because Seymour is an absolute love Ethan Hawke did an amazing job with the documentary. A teacher in life. A teacher in life. And how art and life are essentially interwoven, you know, melodic components of the same element. You know that phrase, happy life, happy wife. Do you believe a happy happiness in art also can lead into happiness in in life? I I don't know about happiness, but I think understanding and betterment 
mm. that they are codependent upon each other. Okay. That art it provides the melody and the lyricism of life and vice versa, and the disciplines of each fuel the other. And okay. you and you really cannot have one without the other. Okay, yeah. In a life. And then of course my friend Todd Lieberman. Uh Going to hear some clips from him, my exclusive with him, talking about Insurgent, Breaking the Glass Ceiling, and Moving Locations, shooting to one of the favorites of films lately, Georgia, and how that helped the surge of the film, pardon the pun. But first, we'll we'll start talking about TCM before the girls join us. Okay, okay. Wait, so you saw 1776. That was the only film you saw during the fest because you are just so busy. And then I ran in and out, dashed in and out of others. Okay. I saw bits and pieces, but the only one I sat through beginning to end because of running to see, you know, listen to Shirley MacLaine yeah. and the intimate Club TCM setting, which there will be a feature on that on my website, hopefully this afternoon. <laughs> she is a hoot and a holler and, one right. of, and a brilliant woman and gave a really in-depth discussion on marketing distribution and the problems with it today mm. when viewed in the context of one of her most recent films, Elsa and Fred with Christopher Plummer, which is an absolute gem. And anyone okay. that hasn't seen it needs to see it. And she has another film coming out with Meryl Streep, Wild Oats. Which, with later this year? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Well, Speaking of films that I haven't seen, I had never seen Lawrence of Arabia. And? And, yeah, of course, what's not to love about Lawrence? And I saw it at the Egyptian. And it was, it was great because I, I was actually thinking maybe I should actually be more social this time because last year I hadn't talked to anybody. I just mm-hmm. saw a couple of movies, got in and out. But I decided to actually talk to a couple of people and ask them while in line why – why do they join the TCM Classic Film Fest, what it means to them. And, of course, that's one of the great things with TCM is unlike other festivals you go to or just standing in line for things, the fans that come to the TCM Film Festival, they interact, they engage, they talk, they, they just are so passionate about classic film. Yeah, because what happens is when you're waiting in line for that hour, sometimes even hour and a half right. before the movie starts, you just strike up a conversation. Even if you don't know a lot of the members from the from TCM with their club passes, you just strike up a conversation about movies, movies you love, directors you love, stars that you admire, and then you start getting into your personal life and how that relates to your film going. <laughs> and it becomes a very personal, well, Scorsese said, a personal journey through through filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. That's what it, it is for me with the TCM Classic Film Fest. So. And you have... A clip from someone you spoke to. I, I cut a 20-second clip, and he, I think he succinctly puts it, why the TCM Classic Film Fest is such a special event. Uh, I did it for the first time last year. I've been a big TCM fan for years. And, you know, you, you see the ads on TCM for the film festival, and I finally was like, I got to check this thing out. And uh, I had so much fun last year. It's so much more than just the movies, you know. It's the programming, the the, the guest stars, and the fellow movie lovers. I mean, there's nothing like being in a big movie house, watching a great movie with other people who love movies, you know. And, you know, I think that's, that you're right. That does very succinctly state it. And it is that. It's that collective spirit, that community sharing, that yeah. experience. And it does. It transports you back in time. And it makes time stand still. And the great thing about that fest is you have so many different kind of moviegoers. You have the ones who are, no matter how much they know about Hollywood history and filmmaking, they're just always wide-eyed. And there are, there are a couple of know-it-alls who, who are, you know... If you don't know a certain movie or a certain director, but it's a great combination of people, mm-hmm. so had a great time. Well, and one of the one of the great things that TCM does during the the festivals, they have some of the most engaging programs mm. over at the Hollywood Roosevelt, uh, and yeah. one of them that I uh, was enthralled by was the art of the title. And we all know everybody out there listening now that goes to the movies. What do you always comment upon? You comment upon those opening and ending credits, right. the titles. And Ian Albinson put together this amazing, amazing uh, 
production. And actually, he has an online version that you can see at the art of the title of the title dot com, and it goes through the history of titles mm. from Silence all the way up to now. Um, the process of how they used to be made and the limitations that imposed on how fancy the titles can get. And then as technology improved, it moved along. Eye-opening stuff on some of the most famous title designers out there, Saul Bass, Pablo Ferro, uh, our Greenberg Associates, Maurice Binder. And it was Binder who designed the very first James Bond. He is the one that came up with that iconic, Mm. the iconic circle. So from checking that out, is even with the new technology, the advanced technology, do you think that titling now is as good as it was back in the heyday of filmmaking? There's a very distinct difference, and I think it mirrors the kind of where the media is, medium is today. And it's not just film, because as Ian very succinctly and accurately pointed out and demonstrated the other day... Um, it's now become everything's melded together. You cannot really tell the difference between titles of video games, which now are all into title sequencing as well. Right. Video games, TV, branding for products, TV commercials, and film. It's a very seamless look now. So everything is integrated. Everything is synergistic and essentially interchangeable. On the one hand, right. that could, that's good. On the other hand, I think you lose. Some of the individuality, when you look at some of the older titling where on glass they would paint layers of paint to get a three-dimensional effect. And when you look very closely, you can actually see that. And some of that hand craftsmanship we've lost to technology. It just seems more vanilla maybe with with that kind of seamless thing going on. Well, but it also, you know, with technology it allows... A lot more creativity mm-hmm. so that it was some films as you know if the film is really bad sometimes the titles are the saving grace <laughs> yeah. because they look so spectacular right. Right. but you know in addition to your to your man on the street perspective i had a chance during uh the opening press conference you were there so you heard this um you asked the first question, by the way. So, yes. As always. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I wanted to engage. Yes. Um, we had our program, had lead programmer, Charlie Tabish, there. The new GM of TCM, Jennifer Dorian, her very first film festival. Genevieve McGillicuddy, who is uh, the head of branding, vice president of something else, programming, festival. Genevieve does everything. And then, of course, Ben Mankiewicz. And I ask each of them, what does the TCM Film Fest mean to them? And this is what our pal Ben Mankiewicz had to say. Well, um, I've said stuff like this before, but every year that I'm here, is I'm, uh, I'm now uh, past my 11th anniversary, about 11 and a half years at TCM, that uh, this becomes more and more clear. And there's no other channel on television that could do this. No one would go. And I say that as a huge fan of what's on television now. I mean, you know, and we Robert Morse is going to be here for the loved one. And obviously, I will talk to him about Mad Men. It's an amazing show. It's transformative. But I don't think that 2,000 fans are going to come together to watch old episodes of Mad Men. Um, and it's true for, you know, and it's true for uh, House of Cards. I'm a Charlie and I are sports fans who watch ESPN all the time. It's not going to happen. There is a connection here between the channel and its fans that does not exist anywhere in, in in entertainment. It just doesn't happen. And it's it's felt viscerally because it connects them to their past. It connects them to sometimes a generation they don't even know. They were close to their grandfather. Maybe they never even saw a movie with their grandfather or grandmother. But they know this was the kind of movies. These were the kind of movies that their grandparents watched and they feel connected. And so they don't just watch us, they watch over us, and that's why, you know, tomorrow we're going to have a panel of Ask TCM, and there, there'll be some yelling, there always is, right? <laughs> you know, you're showing them all kinds of movies, you're not going to show them all kinds of movies, because, and they feel that, that, that we have taken on this responsibility as guardians of this amazing visual art that means so much to so many people, and they know we've taken it on, and they both love us and feel the responsibility to keep us in line, and that is, it somehow is fused a bond 
that I never imagined could exist, but so very clearly does exist. And this is the four days, also to some extent on the cruise, where we get to, to share that, that connection that exists 365 days a year. So, as we were saying, it's that connection. Connection, yeah. And, yeah, it's hard to believe Ben's been with the network for 11 years now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and somebody else that I spoke with on the red carpet mm. is part of a cinematic dynasty, Keith Carradine. Mm. And he has a unique, he, like Ben, Ben also is has a legacy in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but Keith talked specifically about his. And here's what he had to say. In just a moment, because our sound engineer, Brian, is, is answering the phone with, I think, Kelly and Aurora. Oh, no. We're sa- not them. Okay. So we're going to hear what Keith Carradine had to say about what TCM Film Festival means to him. Nice to be here representing, uh, yes, my, my uh, representing, yes, dynastic representation. <laughs> How exciting is it for you? To be part of the TCM Film Festival, to see that so many fans remember all the work that your entire family has done, all these generations. Yeah, listen, uh, as, as my uh, late brother Dave once said, you know, uh, the old man did what he did. And uh, those of us, uh, you know, David and myself, uh, Bobby, we all are uh, stand 10 feet taller because we're on his shoulders. And uh, so to be able to be a part of this celebration of cinema history and of cinema classics and uh, the legacy that is, uh, you know, the movies. Uh, and uh, particularly since my father was so much a part of that um, from the 30s, from the golden age, you know. Um, it's a privilege to be here and to be able to uh, support this. And I have to say, I, I also asked, asked uh, Keith how his brother, Robert Carradine, you know, everybody knows Robert from Revenge of the Nerds. Um, he was in a, a very bad car accident uh, really? uh, some time ago. Okay. But for fans of Robert Carradine, uh, Keith has assured me that the doctors have said he will be 100%. He's on the mend. And he will be back in full force in front of the camera soon. So that is great news to hear. And now we're going to skip a commercial because my pal Callie is here. Hello, and Aurora is well. Aurora's there, too. Hey, guys. Greg's here. I'm fine. Greg's here, too. Hello. Hello, Greg. So, have you survived? Have you recovered? Have you put your feet up? No, no, and no. (laughs) It's that that wonderful depression you get the next day, you know? You're just on a a high, but then you're sorry to see everything uh, close up. Greg was just mentioning that earlier. He's kind of on a, he said, a Debbie Downer today (laughs) because the festival is over. Exactly. We all kind of do this post-fest blues that we go through. And interestingly, we showed up for breakfast this morning all wearing black. <laughs> oh, my God. We're in mourning, I yeah. tell you. Yeah. So now I know the two of you were all over at all the venues, running like crazy. How did this inaugural social producer system work this year? Do you think it was a success? Were the fans happy? The fans were happy. The fans were hounding us uh, because they were thrilled about the social media buttons that many of us were, you know, providing, passing out. Um, Aurora and I handled the Buster Keaton buttons and posters as well. And our pal Anne Marie over at Classic Movie Hub was doing, was it Roman Holiday, I believe? Yeah, she had the Roman Holiday button. And she didn't give me one? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we're going we're gonna to be meeting her in a bit. I'll make sure I let her know that. Oh, oh my heart's going to stop here in a moment. <laughs> I tell you, what, that was probably the biggest challenge was just getting the word out. And even when the word was out, was just letting people know where you were because that was kind of both the fun and the challenge of it was that, you know, you had to kind of almost like a scavenger hunt come find us. Mm-hmm. as we were popping from screening to screenings just like they were. 
Well, now I know that Nora Lill, who is head of TCM Social Media, I know that she'll be listening to this. Either she's listening now live, or she's going to be listening to, you know, the you know the archived audio and and watching all the cute pictures that we're going to have on the video later this week. Um, <laughs> awesome. What do you think would be a suggestion to TCM to make the social producing program more fan friendly and accessible to the fans, the ones that aren't the diehards that are on Twitter, that are on Facebook following you guys? Well, I, you know, I'll let Aurora speak uh, what her thoughts are. For me, I would say, you know, just kind of getting this first year kicked off, um, it kind of set the precedent for the following year. And I'm sure that Nora Lil and the, the good TCM folks are, you know, they're going to, you know, go through and check out all the metrics and info to, to figure that out as well. But I, I think just getting the word out was kind of the biggest challenge at first because it's brand new and just, you know, getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what really worked, and my suggestion is maybe making this, expanding this a little bit. Uh, we had several instances where Kelly was asking the trivia questions online, and everyone, regardless of whether they got another button, just loved spending the time <laughs> answering the trivia questions. Did you get every, any idea what was it, somebody's the favorite trivia question that you asked? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, there were so many. I don't know. I, and it's funny because I made some uh, very easy, you know, because I wanted everyone to feel like they're a winner. And, of course, everyone was a winner. They got a button regardless because it was more about the fun process, the experience. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to make some really tough and obscure. As a matter of fact, some of the questions that I came up with I found were used in the uh, intros before films. Oh. Well, so that means yeah, there were a couple of instances where no one got it, and there there was this one uh, moment that I remember that was quite funny because I was looking over at the um, Kelly's shoulder, looking at the question, and nobody got it. And I say, okay, I see the answer, and the gentleman very enthusiastically says, "B." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was that was funny. <laughs> now you guys also got to go to you went to a lot of films. I know, Aurora, you and I, we were at Shirley MacLaine yesterday, which yeah. was, that was, like I told, said earlier, it was a hoot and a holler. It was. She's, she's too much. And she is just point blank. And one of the things I really liked is how she talked about, she's very astute about the industry and business and talking about how marketing and publicity and distribution really is failing with a lot of the yeah. independent films now. Yeah, I agree. I also like how honest um, she she is all the time about her own career, mm-hmm. her strengths, um, her weaknesses, you know, compared to other actors, et cetera, mm-hmm. when she's starting out. Uh, every story was amazing. I just loved listening to her. She's so frank. Oh, she she is amazing. And you were also there for the art of the title. Uh, I was. Yeah. E- and Ian Albinson, I talked to him afterwards. Ian's going to come on the, on the show one day. To, oh, wonderful. Go- I love that presentation as well. Oh, it was phenomenal. What else did you guys see or what films did you see that just blew your mind that you really loved? Well, I got to say Steamboat Bill Jr. was such a highlight for me. I mean, obviously having Buster Keaton as my home state guy, <laughs> um, but the, the way they presented it, first of all, the print was amazingly clear and crisp up on the big screen. Um, in that beautiful theater, but being Carl Davis composed and led, you know, what is it, 18 piece orchestra mm-hmm. and Leonard Malton doing the intro, that was a huge, one of the many highlights. How about you, Aurora? Um, my two favorites were the two that I was most looking forward to. It's an odd pair. W. Fields, the Bantic. Uh, his two grandsons were there for the intro. It, it was, the movie made us all cry laughing. Uh, and then I adored the hatchback of Notre Dame, uh, the restoration. It, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous print. And again, everybody left, you know, um, emotionally scarred from that one. Gorgeous performance by Lawton. So I, those were my two favorites. Well, I have to ask Kelly, because, I mean, I caught you yesterday as you were racing off to Gunga Din, and you were so excited about Gunga Din. 
Yeah, that was another highlight for me. Gunga Din was, you know... Well, it is Cary Grant. Well, first of all, it's Cary Grant, which, of course, is our favorite. Um, But then to have the the same kind of setup as they did with the Adventures of Robin Hood from last year, Ben Burt and, what's his name, Uh, Craig... Barrow, Barrett. Oh, I just threw a blank on his name. I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, the morning after here, but um, you know the special effect Academy Award winning special effects team. These two guys doing a marvelous job of showing, you know, kind of behind the scenes uh, setups, how they got the sound effects for a certain film, and so this year they did Gunga Din, and it was cool because they had like these, you know like almost home movie uh, shots from behind the scenes. Plus, they would show where they set up sets, and they would show pictures of what it looks like today side by side of, of what it looked like back then and even how they got certain, you know, sound effects with the bugle and how different it looks when they try to do it. It's hilarious. They are just so funny. Is one of the big reasons you guys love going to the TCM Classic Film Fest is just meeting new people and hearing their stories and their own relationships with certain films and how it affects their lives, and then in general, just meeting new friends each and every year. I can't agree with that more. It's it's the highlight. It's the highlight meeting with uh, meeting up with people that we've become uh, friends with. Uh, we see them once a year, and we know them only on social media, and yet we forge real relationships, real friendships from this. It's the beyond, you know, it's just the best part of the festival. Definitely. Well, and I think the three of us are a perfect example because we've known each other on social media. Exactly. Forever, and we finally got to hook up in real life. And, and that, honestly, those moments of when you finally get to meet, like when I finally got to see you, Debbie, uh, the moment I bumped into you here at the fest, I mean, I'm sure you could feel my enthusiasm of, as I gave you that enormous hug. I, I just, know. Like, so sincere. Like, I was so excited to see you. Yeah, and that's one of the great, it's like our friend John Melville who comes over to from Edinburgh to cover the festival hmm. for his outlets uh there john couldn't make it last year but he made it this year and we all love seeing john when he comes yes i met him as well what a nice nice guy and i love that accent of his (laughs) i know we should put him in front of a camera i agree (laughs) agree (laughs) is there anything that you didn't get to see that you wish you could have seen Oh. I, I have one that I'm regretting um, not going to the Dream Machine presentation. Uh, I really, really wanted to go to that, but we ran out of steam. We came here to the Roosevelt uh, to take a little bit of a break instead, and I regret that decision. <laughs> and what about you, Kel? Oh, I, I definitely got to agree with that one. I also, I you know, honestly, there were so many. We kind of we wanted to see Reign of Terror, but we didn't make that. And even though it made it to the TBA list mm-hmm. on Sunday, we, it was still a conflict. There's there's only so many ways you can clone yourself and try to make every yeah. one. But on the on the positive side of that, it means that when there are so many tough choices to make, no matter what you go with, you walk away happy and thrilled. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. We made a last-minute decision yesterday um, to go to the Philadelphia story. Uh, you know, a film we've seen 150 times, and yet it was... But it's Cary Grant on the great big screen. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, not choosing (laughs) that in the first place. I mean, it was just fabulous, and we had such a fun time. The group that assembled to see it was great. It was just um, a wonderful, wonderful way to to spend a Sunday afternoon. Absolutely. And, you know, the Philadelphia story, the, the house that was a Lord house, it was filmed right up right up the street from me on MGM on what was lot two. Um, wow! Wow! <laughs> well, my house actually, my house in LA actually sits on what used to be lot five of MGM. No kidding! No that's, kidding! That's cool history right there. My dry yep. cle- my dry cleaner sits on top of what used to be the stable for the animals. Now I don't know. I don't know what that's telling us, but. <laughs> well, I hope you know how lucky that is. That's very cool because, as you know, 
several of us, and besides Aurora and I, we come from all over yeah. to uh, be in this, you know, sacred hollow grounds of, of Hollywood. And, and it truly, I think it truly is, and the fact that TCM keeps a festival in Hollywood is based at the Roosevelt Hotel, which is just, you feel the history when you walk in the door. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. Now, when do you guys leave the happy the happy uh, Hollywood grounds? We leave tomorrow morning. I leave at about noon, and I think Kelly leaves a bit earlier. Than yeah, that. crack of dawn or something. It's like yeah. six thirty a.m. I got to hit the shuttle. Yeah, you know? who knows? I may run into you at the airport as I'm heading off to Pixar tomorrow. Oh, Pixar. So, you know, I mean, I get I get the best of both worlds. I get the classic films, and I get the new films, and then all the junk in between. Okay. Can, can we live your life just like a week and just kind of walk around in your shoes? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anytime you want, you may. You can put up with all the headaches. You can put up with all the publishers. You can, you can put up with Greg here, yeah. you know. I hope you guys are at least going to Musso and Frank's or got the chance to this trip. Well, you know, last year we got some chicken pot pie there. That's pretty memorable. Nice. Yeah, I went twice this, this uh, visit, so I'm good. <laughs> and I saw the, and I saw the uh, chaplain booth, which was a thrill. Oh, wow. Well, you know, and yeah. they were closed yesterday, so I was actually over at Maselli's. There was not a person in... The place was packed. It was full. There was a waiting list of people to get a table. Every person in there had on a TCM badge. Yes. And and we're we're talking about maybe going there tonight as well. But I got to tell you, when you're talking about the TCM badge. It is such an amazing, fun community of folks. When you see those badges as you walk through a diner or the Roosevelt or whatever, there is this automatic kinship where you know you're amongst family. It's amazing. Yeah, and you're never at a loss for words. Yeah. No, I mean, I sat down and people were right next to me and they're saying, oh, well, what did you just come from? And, oh, what are you going to see next? And at the next table over, they were talking about what they had just seen. And then somebody else was talking about, oh, they couldn't get into the Montalban to see Sophia Loren and her son Eduardo Ponti uh, do a Q&A with her. But they were going over to the Chinese to see her there as the last screening of the night. So, yeah, you're absolutely right when you say that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone kept saying when, you know, whether it's, you know, you'd you'd see these people that you either know through a TCM party or, uh, you know, through the virtual world of Facebook or whatever, and you get to see them at this one time of year, and it does feel exactly like a family reunion. So now I know you guys are going to be writing stuff up. You're going to be posting pictures on, on your blogs and all of that. So give us it. Now, Lydia will have it up on the video so everybody can see it, so they can't make typos, but give give us your your websites, your blogs, so people can find you. Okay. Um, I'm on uh, my blog is Once Upon a Screen. The URL is auroraginjoint.com. Nice. And I'm Citizen Screen across um, all media platforms, you know, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And, of course... And it, it, People already know little Irish Jayhawk 66. <laughs> yes, and at, my blog is outspoken and freckled uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> and that is found under my name of kellypratt.com and Kelly with two E's at the end just to, you know, be difficult. Um, and then, I, you know, what I want to do is get the full list of social producers to you because I tell you what, there were some amazing people in our group of social producers. Yeah, and, I second that. They really, really did an outstanding job. And you know, I will definitely, I will get it on air. I will get it on my website. I know Greg will have the information. And we will just be networking TCM like crazy. We appreciate it. <laughs> All right, ladies, I'm going to let you go. It has been an absolute joy. Hope to meet you next year. Yes, definitely. I hope so. Thank you yeah. so much for having us. Oh, thanks, guys. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Bye. Sounds great. Thank you. Bye. And that was Kelly Pratt and Aurora Citizen Screen uh, doing our final wrap-up of TCM. We're going to do a tiny short break. We have Mo Perkins on the line. We'll take a break, and we'll come right back, and we'll have Mo with us to talk the last time you had fun. 
Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. And I have the wonderful Mo Perkins on the line. Hey, Mo. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. This is, this is just too fun. I'm here. Greg is here with me, my trusty, my trusty cinematic sidekick. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, Greg. And I mean, this is, I mean, this is, you know, I love this movie and it's, it's a very appropriate title. The last time you had fun as we were all just uh, talking and recapping the TCM classic film festival, which is a riot and tons of fun for everybody. I see. I, you're breaking up a little bit, but you were at the TCM Classic Film Festival. Yes, right and so it's very appropriate that your film is entitled "The Last Time You Had Fun." And, oh, I see. Because <laughs> we just had a whole lot of fun, but tr- oh, good. But trust me, anybody that sees your film is going to have a whole lot of fun too. How exciting is it for you, Mo? The film just premiered last year at LA Film Festival. Not even a year later. You've got distribution. You're going to be in theaters next week. You've got next Friday, correct? The 6th? Uh, the 7th. 7th, we okay. Releasing, yeah. Uh, VOD, on demand, all over the place, which is it's super exciting for me. I just feel um, really grateful to have this tiny film floating out into the world. And this, it's super exciting. This tiny film. It's well, a whole. It's just, a whole lot of fun going on in this tiny <laughs> film. Yeah, I, maybe I'm downplaying it too much. It's not tiny. We have some great, great names in it, and um, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think it came together really lovely. We're super proud of it. Um, it's not tiny, but it is a smaller <laughs> film, and it's harder to get smaller films out into the world. So I, I'm really excited to see this one making its way. And this one is so different from your first film, A Quiet Little Marriage, which was quiet, there was inherent humor, but it was a subtle, a subtler look. Um, of course, Eric Zimmerman was your, was your DP for A Quiet Little Marriage, and Eric was back for The Last Time You Had Fun. But looking at the I- two films, as different as night and day with your visual palette, you can, and it really shows with your editing, the, your story, your growth as a director. And I just, I am just so thrilled. Oh, that, that's so nice to hear. I mean, that's what you want to hear is that each one, you're getting better at uh, creating what it is that you're hoping to do. And I think thematically you can, you can feel that they're from the same place. But, yeah, I, hopefully everyone is better. Otherwise, what are you doing? <laughs> and, of course, your darling husband wrote the script for this one. Yeah, I know. Uh oh. Uh oh. I hear. No, no. I hear inflection. <laughs> it's, it's great. I I I felt like the script was just a gift, but um, we get riled a lot because it's about marriages and trouble, and here we are, a married couple working together. But um, maybe that's how we. I don't know. It just works. So you work. You yeah, work out the trouble one. on paper. Say again? You work out the trouble on paper so that it doesn't affect the marriage. We like all our drama on screen. That's just how we are. <laughs> As people, we're very quiet. Um, he's, his dialogue is hilarious. He writes these incredible kind of fantastic scenarios. And he's the quietest, shyest guy. So, uh, yeah, we just all our, all our drama goes up on screen. You know, Mo, when you're mounting an indie project, what's the main challenge for you as a director to get financing for the film? What are the steps that you need to take to actually start with the pre-production and the production? I wish that there was a better way to articulate how projects come together. (laughs) Um, I was reading some way, someone was saying that it's like amnesia after it all comes together because you work really long and hard. You have this kind of dream and then it's like a treasure hunt. You kind of go out and start building pieces and one piece brings the other and then when it finally comes together it's like a flood um but it's hard it's hard to go back and retrace which piece opened the possibility of actually getting the thing made 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. It's just not, there's not like an office you go apply to with your little business packet and say, please, may I have the money to make this? It's it's tiny little things bring other things, and um, you just have to be open to the possibility of the way that each individual project is going to get made. And now, you did you find, did, was it any benefit at all, at all to you in trying to get uh, the last time you had fund made that you had already done Quiet Little Marriage and you had that distribution under your belt? Absolutely. I mean, just even, you know, my favorite, we've talked before, Debbie, and my mm-hmm. favorite thing is the actors and just um, there's a legitimacy to having brought a project from the ground up and seen it all the way out to distribution and then also having that that feature film to show actors when you are wooing them into your next project, um, all of that became a little bit easier. And of course you wooed some of the same some of your same actors back for this project. I don't know if you can tell, but when I find somebody I like to work with, I just like to work with them. Like Eric, um, you just you, when something works, do it again. It just gets deeper and better. So, um, so yeah, you, of course. So Mary you brought Elizabeth Mary. Back. Mary Elizabeth is back. Mary Elizabeth is back. Jimmy's back. Jimmy Simpson is amazing as Jake, I, and he's hilarious. He's hilarious, and he's a gift. He's both hilarious and really poignant. So you're laughing and crying at the same time, which is an odd but kind of wonderful sensation from Jimmy. Um, Or or maybe that's just me. I don't know. But, yeah, he was a gift. No, Jimmy, you you really don't know whether to laugh or cry at some of the stuff he does. Yeah, I know, which is hard. And um, it takes a, a lot of talent to really ride that edge, and he does it so well. And, you know, I'm playing right off of Jimmy is Kyle, Kyle Bornheimer as, as the character of Clark, who I like to call Mr. Sweaty Pants. Uh, <laughs> Clark. There was something in the news about sweatpants this week, and I just couldn't help laughing. Because oh, my God. That's really, that's his thing. He, he wants to be comfortable. He's, he's given up on a lot of stuff, but not comfort. Um, but Kyle was wonderful. And it, and he and Jimmy just fuel each other. I know. They're like oil and water that end up with this hilarious mix. Yeah, that scene, I, well, I don't want to give it away, but I hope people enjoy it because it was a lot of fun to create, and it was a little bit of crazy getting it all together, but um, I'm really proud of it. And it, it definitely gets a response sitting in a theater with an audience you can feel the impact at that scene. It's unexpected in, in a good way, I think. <laughs> well, was, was directing always in the cards for you, even at an early age? Were you directing shorts as a child, or is, that, is it a process and a craft that you took on later in life? Um, I love that you say as a child, because <laughs> the, those tools were not available to me as a child. I consider myself still young, but um, we didn't have that kind of camera happening. Yeah. Um, but I, I have a five-year-old now, and she is picking up the iPhone and trying to direct me, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but yes, I, storytelling was always in the cards for me, and I, yeah. I don't think I recognized that it was a passion until... Um, I hit college. I don't think I understood that directing was a job you could have. It was just something that I played around with. And then when I realized that it was a, a place you could actually spend your life, um, I don't know. It was a romance. Yeah, it was, it was on. There wasn't really ever. There hasn't been anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, as I mentioned, one of the great things is visually and tonally the difference between your for the A Quiet Little Marriage and The Last Time You Had Fun. And working with Eric Zimmerman, how did you, the two of you go about designing the visual palette? Because so much of this film takes place in a limousine. You're using rich, rich colors, saturated colors, neon colors, a lot of blues, purples, reds, immersed in blacks. Something we didn't yeah. see in your earlier film. So you've got this whole new look coming. So what? how did the two of you go about approaching this visual tonal design? Um, well, you know, every story has its own kind of design around the intention, the meaning behind it. So with this film, you have four people who are kind of, they're popped out of their normal lives for an evening 
And I really wanted to create the sense that there was this bubble, of this magical bubble created around them and that they could do things that in their day-to-day lives they wouldn't allow themselves to do. So we talked about creating a visual style that enclosed them together, the, the four of them, um, having these rich blacks, having kind of little glowy lights in the background, but creating a separation from the world, not just physically within the, the limo, but within frames and mm-hmm. how you kind of place them and uh, what you did with the light, creating this kind of magical night that encloses them, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and the look, and we talked about this last June and how stunning and beautiful it is. And it just draws, as you're watching the film, we are drawn into this little microcosm of retro fun that our two couples are trying to have. I mean, that's Eric. Eric is, is just genius. And speaking of retro, like, he brought these ancient prime lenses that I don't even know where he got that he, <laughs> you had to, I, it's his it's his game and it, it, he really pulled it off in such a beautiful way um, yeah I, I, I have to say it's to him that it looks that beautiful what was the most challenging aspect of well, of this film this you've got you know you've got the one under your belt now you've got this one you're growing as a director, you're growing as a storyteller. What was the most challenging aspect of bringing this one to life? Um, let's see. I mean, it didn't... I don't know that it... It just kind of overtakes me. I don't know that it was necessarily challenging, but it was marathon, which I think you hear from most indie directors because we tend to shoot them really fast. Mm-hmm. Um... But it didn't feel like a challenge because it was such a joy. You work so hard to get to the shoot that um, once once you're there, you just have to enjoy it. Um, so I guess it was a it was a challenge in that it was a lot of night shoots and a kind of a dead run. We didn't have a a very hefty shooting schedule and we had a lot to pack in. But um, I guess the challenging part. Uh, was that you just wanted to do it more and for longer, but then you you couldn't feel like you were defeated because it was such a gift to be there anyway. <laughs> um, is that weird? I don't know. It's like, yay, torture. No, knowing, <laughs> knowing you, Mo, I know it's from your heart. Yeah, no, it really is. We had some, we had some nights. Like, there's a, there's a scene where they all kind of jump in the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge for me because I'm a I'm a very protective director and I I really want it safety is huge and also comfort and I feel like actors give their best performance if they know that you have them you have their back entirely. So uh, things like having them strip down in their underwear and dr- jump in the Pacific Ocean those are challenging nights for me. <laughs> um, but then also they end up being the funnest because you feel like you've really achieved something and you feel that from your crew and your cast and you walk away going, yeah, last night was amazing. Um, yeah, I'm rambling. No, you can ramble all you want. It's me. You're allowed, you know? I get excited. I I haven't talked about this in a little while. I get all excited. I Um, know. Now, you know, you have two really great casting coups here. I have to mention one, and I know Greg had mentioned him earlier before we went on air today, Dimitri Martin, who plays Will. We both saw him in Lake Bell's film, uh, In a World. Dimitri is fantastic. And then Charlene Yee, who wrote Paper Heart, an adorable little indie. Oh, I know she's wonderful, and I, I begged her to be in this. I don't, I don't know if she's even acting so much anymore. She's got, she's a, an amazing and talented artist and musician, and I know that she's focusing a lot of energy on that. And I was in love with Paper Heart, and I couldn't see anyone else as Betty besides Charlene Yee. I just, I, I literally, I begged her. And I mean, the way that she does deadpan and rolls her eyes is just, no. she, need, she needs no dialogue. That's, she needs to no, just stick just stick the camera on her. 
She doesn't. And you know what? You asked me if there was anything that I regret about the film. I, j- I wish I had 15 more minutes of Charlene Yee in it because she's such a joy to work with and to watch. So do we have 15 more minutes of her to put on a director's cut or is a DVD extra? On a reel? Yeah. Oh, the- the outtakes from this movie I have to put together sometime because as much fun as the script is, all of these people together late at night were just so goofy, and there's some wonderful outtakes. I have to pull it together. Well, I, I expect to see this as DVD extras. You know that, don't you? <laughs> okay, okay. I'll do it. You know. It. you know. Just a curious question. When you uh, editing the film or sitting in that room and putting the film, your narrative together, is it almost just as fun as shooting the production, or are they just two different separate elements of, the, of filmmaking that you can't really compare? It's an odd experience. I um, I prefer not to be a director editor. I actually think it's really nice when there are two separate human beings doing that job. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes budget constraints and, and and schedules and make it so that it's just easier to go straight into the other one. Um, mm. But yeah, it's super fun, but it's weird because you're you're with this large group of people and you're traveling. And you're making this movie, and then all of a sudden you're all alone. Yeah. But you're still with them, and you're watching them blink, and you're editing the like minutia. <laughs> um, but you're alone, so it, it's fun because it's like Christmas. You're on un, you're unwrapping literally all this gift that they've given you, yeah. but you're alone. So I, if I have a preference, it's the part where we're creating all together. Um, I. That's kind of abstract, but that's how I feel about it. So, Editing is wonderful because you have the film, but making the film is the best part. So are you making another one right now? I am. Well, Hal is writing and I am writing, and we're ready to get back on it. I'm just seeing this one out into the world, which is also, you know, my job. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. My favorite part, if I could just go from shoot to shoot. That, that's what I'd love. Because I, I know that's so. what you love doing, and it, you, it just killed you having, you know, that time lag between Quiet Little Marriage and Last Time You Had Fun. I know, but there doesn't seem to be any way around it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you work as hard and as fast as you can, and there's still, there's got to be a couple years between projects, because it just, it takes that to get them up. So. Well, you know, the, the trick is then Hal has to start writing the next project while you're filming one project. So as soon as you finish the one, you, you he's got a script ready to go. I agree. I'm considering just chaining him to the computer, and I will tell him that you said so. That's, he should, should definitely have it ready. Hal has no choice. This is what he must do. <laughs> Poor Hal. Uh, yes. Well, he also really enjoys it and and really has a gift for it, so it's not torturous. It doesn't. It sounds bad. It's not. So but yeah, he should be. I can't thank you enough, my friend. This is an absolute pleasure. You will. You will call us back again and talk to us again about filmmaking. Oh yeah, anytime. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is just so fantastic. And when you talk to Eric again, give him my best. I will. Um, but I can't wait to see what you do. De- what you do next? So next Friday, the last time you had fun. Theaters, digital, VOD. Uh, yeah. Every. Uh, but- Everyone needs to have fun. Everywhere. Oh, hello? Yes, everyone needs to have fun. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Mo. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Mo Perkins. That was good. She wasn't so abstract. She was... No, I I love Mo. She truly... And to see, and as I said, the growth in her as a director is amazing. I have to see the movie. You have to see the movie. That means Karen Oberman. Okay. You know, email, email Greg. I'm in the mood for a comedy. So. He's, he's in the mood for a comedy. It needs to uplift him after the, the depression, the of, depression yeah. of TCM ending. <laughs> so, but, you know, and once again, we are just so chock full of stuff today. But I do want to get in one more piece of TCM. We'll hold back on, I think we'll have to hold back on Seymour Bernstein and Todd Lieberman so that Todd can wring his hands and be upset with me. And But uh, I had a chance to do a one-on-one with William Daniels. 
legendary William Daniels, uh, you younger generation, you know him as Mr. Feeney showing up on Girl Meets World now, previously with Boy Meets World. Um, a little scoop for you. He's been asked to come back as an annual tradition thing for another appearance on Girl Meets World, um, which apparently he may be doing. But in the meantime, because the whole theme about TCM Classic Films this year was history and history through the eyes of Hollywood, but William Daniels has his own history going back to the 1940s. And uh, we talked briefly, we talked at length about it, but here's a brief excerpt of William Daniels and his history in getting to where Mr. Feeney that you know, playing John Adams in 1776, and Broadway film, TV, and everything in between. Because a lot of people don't realize what a fascinating history you have in entertainment. 75 years. 75 years singing. You know, do it. You know, you're singing My on stage. Sister and I saw song and dance too. We tapped too. They were tapping. When we went to audition. My mother, stage mother, uh, took us, I guess I was maybe seven or eight. My sister was two years younger. And she heard, she read in the paper that they take children on this children's show called Hold on Heart at Children's Hour. And uh, so she took us over there. And uh, the guy, uh, Nick Nick Kenny's uh, brother, was... Auditioning everybody, and we started tap dancing. And he said, "Wait, no, 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 no! This is radio. I mean, you know that. Uh, now, if they sang, my mother grew back home, taught us a song, went back the next week, and we started to sing. He said, "No, no, not in unison. I mean, if they sang in harmony, brought us back, taught me the harmony." brought us back for the third time. He said, that's it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. You're one of the, well, you're one of the few performers today who has successfully made the transition through all the media. No, that's true. You know, from radio to Broadway. I know. Film, television. Listen, when we were doing uh, Horn and Horn Children's Hour, our third floor at NBC, Rockefeller Center, there was a Studio 3H down there that had all these lights up on top. And my sister and I were asked to go in and sing a song while they took the picture because it was for something called television. And they needed a lot of light. And you couldn't touch the microphone, it was so hot. So we get in there, we sang a song for them, and then they'd get the hell out of there because we were bringing wet. It was a bank of, the whole ceiling was all mm-hmm. light because they didn't know how to light it. It needed, a, their picture needed a lot of light at that mm-hmm. point. And that was, we were just kids. That was the beginning of television. And yes, it was pretty heady stuff, right there. And oh, we're getting our oh, cue. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to wrap. But you know, and I, I just I just have to say the beginning of television. And one day we may actually pick up this at a later point. My father was at the beginning of television, and right about the same time that Bill was doing the Horn and Hard Art Children's Hour. Within a few years after that. My father was doing television in Philadelphia in 1949, 1950. That's a story we'll pick up on, definitely. So I, yeah, nice. I know about all the... I heard the war stories about mm. getting all of this to work in the early days of television. So that is it. We will be back next week. Next week, Jane Clark is back with us. We're going to be talking crazy bitches. Yes, we said it once today. We're going to say it a lot next week. And also, uh, the issue of piracy uh, with video uh, beyond the Expendables debacle and how it's affecting little independent films like Jane's film. So, we will be here next week. We hope you will be too. Thanks.